This is Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, the executive producer and co-host of the show. Joining me in the virtual studio is co-founder and principal co-host Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. At Pop Health Week, we engage industry leadership and stakeholder voices spanning payer, provider, patient, vendor, and regulatory communities in population health best practices and strategy. Connect with us via www.popupstudio.productions or follow and direct message me on Twitter at GregMastersMPH, and that is Greg with two Gs. On today's episode, our guests are Dr. Rain Archer, legislative and policy expert in public health and international diplomacy. Dr. Archer served as chief of staff for a member of the House Appropriations Committee and commissioner for the Texas Department of Health. And Dr. Jamie Bland, the chief executive officer at Sync Health. Sync Health began in 2008 as a 501c3 organization with a mission to enable providers in the state of Nebraska to exchange healthcare data and support them in providing holistic and effective care to all patients. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Thanks so much, Greg. And Jamie and Ren, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a pleasure to have you both on today. A great topic we're going to discuss here. Why don't we begin with Jamie, perhaps give us a little bit of your background and the work you're doing. Yeah, I'm the CEO and president of uh, Sync Health. I started my career as a registered nurse and have been in the healthcare um, delivery side as well as health information technology um, for the better part of 25 years. So um, uh, Dr. Archer and I met through common interest in the population and public health and um, have been working on uh, different projects in the uh, Nebraska and Western Maryland markets. That's great. Thanks, Jamie. And you, Ren? So I'm uh, I'm a sort of a come lately in some sense. I've been working on pop- population health for about 30 years. I'm an obstetrician in my first life, and then I, I have basically worked at the federal level in the public health service uh, four years doing international health with WHO and USAID, and then ran the Texas Health Department, and then over the last 15 years have been working on how do you take what you learn in the field and put it into practice. And so looking for the parts and pieces of how do we actually ask the right questions to improve population health. Yeah, I think that's a great lead in actually this, because as both you and Jamie know, population health is built on data. It's and and that's really proven to be if we can get the right data to flow through, we can understand that data and then begin to look at the interventions, we'll be in great shape. So, Jamie, one of the things that sort of fascinated me is we've talked about HIEs and health information exchanges, but there's now this term a health data utility. And I think there's some add-on associated with that. Could you sort of talk about that and what you do and how you look at that? Yeah. So um Nebraska has, you know, invested quite um a over a lengthy period of time, about 15 years um, in health data utilities. So we started as a HIE focusing on clinical and hospital data. We added claims data, we added SNF data, we added um, social care data and really brought together a governance structure that can be accessible both to healthcare delivery, but also to community partners that are looking to improve health outcomes. And that's really where the term health data utility comes into play when we're looking at how do we establish the, the data governance structures, the um, access points and the workflows 
to able to be able to access information. Um, you know, we all have experience in trying to access information from different research projects and um, you know, that that can be quite a lengthy and cumbersome process. So we're looking at speed to delivery and how we can um, uh, bring data to folks in a timely manner, as well as um, make it easier and provide the um, right data use agreements and structures that enable community to act on data um, in aggregate that is near real time or, or very recent data. We're talking, um, uh, you know, data in the HIE is, you know, seconds old, but if we can get data that's um, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and have folks react to that and be able to uh, create systems around that and understand their population on a more intimate level, that's, that is what is going to impact health outcomes. Mm -hmm. And we're still working on data, you know, from connecting hospitals to hospitals and doctors to hospitals and that medical side, but you've incorporated other data sets and other groups into this, correct? Correct. So um, uh, claims data from um, all aspects of the healthcare delivery system. We've brought in social care data. So that's like the data from um, uh, United Way 211. That's referring out to uh, uh, food banks and utility services and housing and um, workforce and all kinds of information uh, that help us understand um, disparities in a little bit different way than, than the data that's in the healthcare delivery system. But bringing that data together to know that somebody um, has chronic disease issues and also is seeking housing assistance, we get a better idea of who's going to end up in the emergency room, um, resulting in a higher cost of care. And if we can you know, push that upstream, um, hopefully impact total cost of care as well as uh, better outcomes and a better perspective and, and quality of life as well. Just to build on that, Fred, when I met when I met Jamie about four or five years ago, I said, where have you been? I've been looking for you for a long time. And I think she's in a certain way modest, but she is incredibly disciplined and driven to create both the governance and the availability of the largest collection of data that can also be very usable down to the level of the community. So I said, you know, we need to not only have the data, but we need to show how it can have a use case. And she and I started collaborating a number of years ago with the idea of taking this down into one of the communities in Nebraska with the greatest disparities. And we've been using geographic information system mapping. And, and now we understand actually what census tracts actually have the worst asthma rates or the worst perinatal outcomes. And that gives us a place to start. <clears throat> but because the data is so real time, it also gives us an ability to start to implement and see the effect in an almost real-time way of what we're what we're doing to try to change an outcome. And so uh, I think our collective belief is the data can't just sit on a shelf, is that it has to be used, and we need teams that understand how to use it in context of community. And then there's the last part that we'll talk about, which, so what are the incentives and structures around the finance that will actually make this sellable count, uh, community by community. So that's the incredible beauty of what Jamie and her team have created in Nebraska and in um, and Iowa. But there are also a couple of other states like Maryland and that are also leading. Indiana is on, on the cutting edge of this. And they're all trying to get to that next level of uh, 
of fidelity to data and also the governance that creates a dynamic in which everyone will share in the same pot of information. Yeah, I think it's fascinating when you think about this from one, the governance perspective. If you link all these groups up, obviously, you have to control what a, an individual to not-for-profit community can see within that data set versus the, the nurse on the floor in the hospital or something like that, or a physician, et cetera. And then you've essentially, by what you're laying out, I think, can say where the problem is, who is is struggling with that sort of a problem? And and given some of the extra data sets you bring in, what are some of the possible interventions we could do to improve that? I mean, that's certainly a true, fully scalable population health type approach from a data point. Yeah, that's absolutely what we're doing. You know, one of the projects that where we first started was just connecting the, the homeless shelter with the emergency department and providing them a system that made sense to them. So what data makes sense to you um, and is consumable by you? It's not like the full discharge summary, right? Um, that makes sense to me. Um, but for the homeless shelter, what piece of information do you need? Um, so curating that information and pushing it over in an accessible way, something that's um, accessible on the cell phone. Um, can they get text messages? Having Just having those conversations about how do you consume data at this end point, because if we send somebody from the emergency department to the homeless shelter and you just end up sending them right back, we're not we're not fixing the problem. Right. So um, just having those conversations and starting to understand what data do you generate? What data do you need? What data is the healthcare delivery generating that you need? But you don't need all of it. Right. You just need the things that matter to you. And that's really where we started to have these community conversations about what's helpful. Um, and I think that's that's where we were able to test a few things um, to be able to get the data in front of folks that are influencers and decision makers in their communities and then and then put systems in place um, upstream that help them achieve the goals that they want to do for their community system and their neighborhood. Um, because that's how you keep people engaged in population health, right, is impact their neighborhood. Absolutely. And. Have you you talked, Randy, and you mentioned this a little bit, real-time data, beginning to measure. Have you been able to see some improvements in communities or things like that with some of the work you're doing, or are we still early? Well, they've been doing some work in maternal child health that they're showing efficacy right there in Nebraska. I think we're also looking at doing something bolder in that sense of, of um, identifying and working really deliberately from within the community and building something from the community out as we think the real benefit of, of the data is to drive us towards understanding not only what do we do for people, but how do we invite people into participating more fully in, in the care that they receive, but also in the care they give to each other in the community. And I would just say communities are messy as you start with them and finding the leaders and working with the leaders takes time and building that trust takes time. And we're in that journey of building that trust. and. And but it is incredibly powerful when you go into a community who've been dealing with disparities and you show them real time that what they believe in in their hearts, that they see that they're not crazy when you show them that they have three and a half times the rate of asthma in a community. And it, it the eyes get big and the opportunity is huge. And then the question is, how do we balance what we already know to do with what we need to do that we haven't figured out yet? Obviously, one of the critical points to trying to get this done is how do you finance it? And Aran, you and I worked on with Doug, obviously, this uh, neighborhood health savings account 
approach back in the day. Can you talk about that and sort of where that's at now and what you're doing around that? Well, um, a, a few years ago, I wrote a bill with Eddie Bernice Johnson, who is a nurse and former member of Congress from Dallas, and she became a close friend. And I, I had shared with her over a couple of decades that we ought to really incentivize the idea of health improvement and that the community needs to benefit from, from that savings. And and then I worked with my father when he was chairman of Ways and Means Committee to build the health savings account. So I, I see the power of incentives. I see the power of trying to use resources in a new way and to captivate the energy. The bill didn't, we had bipartisan support, but Congress is very slow to adapt really big and new ideas. So we took a different approach and have been planting the seed around states and with different providers and hospital systems and with payers and with community members and trying to get them to work with governors to ignite that idea. Governors have the ability to motivate that as a request back to CMS in Medicaid. And we're hoping little by little that as we establish both the data set and, and the governance of working in community, and then finally, we, we're finding some in, investors, I mean, some of the um, phil philanthropic community in Omaha are willing to invest upstream. And then we're going to um, work, try to work back with the governor and show what we're doing as a way of proof of concept. So we, we realize the incentives are important. And we also uh, realize that it's hard to make these changes and it, it's going to take lots of discipline. Right. And so in essence, when we think about this approach, it, there's got to be a way that we can fund this in essence. So it becomes sustainable. The typical community-based programs we've seen start with a grant or somebody comes in and says, Hey, we'll help you build this thing. And then four years later, maybe something's going, but there's still no funding. And so those projects tend to then end, unfortunately. And this was really a way to kind of create a mechanism to feed the savings back in to allow for the continuation of that program. Is that correct? Yes, it becomes a continuous quality improvement, whereas as progress is made and resources are reallocated from savings in Medicaid, that then you have a base of funding that can sustain things that are both preventive as we know them, but also to get and invite more people to the table to participate more fully in the things that go on in community, because they begin to see that their own individual actions play a huge role in their health. And so we want to do we want to activate both the best of human relations. We want to activate the best of the negotiation between the community and the, and the clinical system. And we want to activate the best of the individual patient with the individual physician, because we think all of those things have to work in synchrony to actually maximize the return. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. We're speaking with Dr. Rain Archer, legislative and policy expert in public health and international diplomacy, and Dr. Jamie Bland, the chief executive officer of Sync Health. It's really like a value-based care model for a community. Would that be the way to look at it? 100%. I mean, I keep thinking about we actually need, we, we if a patient is really sick, we put them in the hospital and we, we call it intensive care. We need intensive care for a community, and that's that's including social care. It's also understanding these incentives that will drive interest and willingness to participate. You don't just go to people and tell them to change behaviors. You invite them into a process, and this is the means 
by which we can actually create interests along a continuum of people. I, I, there's one quick story, if it's all right. I was talking to 150 of the nurses, um, excuse me, teachers in North Omaha that teach teaches some of the private schools that are dealing with the poorest kids in the city. And um, there were a number of African-American teachers there. And and I was told, well, you know, you need to be afraid of walking door to door. And one of the teachers got up, she's probably between 25 and 30, and she was indignant. And she said, you have to go door to door. And I said, well, Tia, are you going to go with me door to door? She says, yes, I will. Those are my people. And you can trust them. And so this idea of building that high level of trust with people door to door to door is so important. And it's even important for someone that isn't part of that community that shows up that they don't expect, because that'll change the nature of the dialogue. But to have Tia with me was so exciting. And so one of the next steps for North Omaha is to to walk door to door. And and I'll tell you something, you know, back in the day, a story the same way, when we used our nurses and community health or we call them community resource coordinators back in the early 2000s in those 10 state Medicaid programs, they could go anywhere safely. It was unbelievable. They were meeting patients outside of crack houses and doing assessments on the car hood, going through the surveys because the people in that community said, they, we said, we're here to help. They're here to help. They recognize it and recognize that, that the goal was to make it better. And so I do think it's something that that whole talk about you can't go here or there, I think at the end of the day, as you said, either through community relationships or building that trust is just a non, it's it's just not true. One of the things though I will say is, again, I go back to Jamie, what she is doing is monumental and and incredible because we all are, there are a lot of us who do smart things across the country. But there's no almost nowhere where you can capture the benefit of what's being done. Whereas Jamie has the ability to capture almost real time the benefit of whatever's being done in community. I mean, it's remarkable. Yeah, I, I want to ask the two of you as as sort of you're experts. You 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 know this area really well. There's been this huge push, and this is just something I've thought about some and written about some, and I don't know. I could be wrong here. But it seems like the the healthcare system itself is trying to drive this, and I don't know that necessarily the healthcare system should be the driver of this community. They should certainly have a seat at the table and be represented, but it needs to be a broader focus in my mind. Are you seeing that in your experience? Yeah, it it can't be driven out of healthcare. I think they definitely need to sit at the table. Payers need a seat at the table. Payers can also not be the driver. Um, of this, it it really needs to be um, community driven and um, working on the things that matter to them, not the things that healthcare um, say should matter. Right? Um, does healthcare want to work on? They probably want to work on diabetes and um, things that are you know they they view as impacting their value based agreements. Community wants to work on things that matter to families and matter to them personally. And that's um, what we're there to enable. And then we will deal with the other things because often when we deal with asthma, uh, we can also look at behavioral health. When we um, look at, you know, why people are having issues with housing, we can look at, you know, the um, reasons why they show up in the emergency department. There's, these are all connected things, but we can't have healthcare telling communities what they need to work on. Um, It needs to have value to 
to the neighborhood and to the community and to the people. If I could wave a wand just to build on what Jamie said is this idea is that we need a team of teams and we need almost a social entrepreneur that leads somebody who has a vision for engaging people without a bias of what the answer is. Once you know the answer, you're you're trying to apply that logic directly and you have to, I believe, ask the question, why six or seven times? Why is this what you think you want? And so in, until you get to the, the level of that person's real story, and in, in many cases, when we've been in that place with, with families like that, tears will come and then you know you're getting close to the place of meaning and, and relationship. And, and oftentimes medicine can't do that. So we need a team of teams sort of like what uh, General McChrystal does, there's a very interesting way in which they couldn't move to action because their teams were too siloed. We need cross-sectional teams, you know, educators, social workers, healthcare, but people who might be artisans or artists or, or creatives in, in that team to basically really say, how can we help you tell your story both as an individual and how can you tell your story as a community so we can all understand who you are and what your what your real struggles are, and and Ren, you you'd mentioned North Omaha. What are they doing there? In what sense? Okay, we're in the very beginnings of this. I mean, we've spent the last year building trust with leaders there, and again, in the beginning, when you think about going in and say we're going to do a project, and we're going to use data, well, okay, here you go again. You're going to measure us. Who's going to fund the project? Why is this different? Everything that has ever come before. Everybody makes grand promises, but nothing ever is sustained. <clears throat> and these are very seasoned leaders in the who've been on the city council, who've been on the school board, who've been on the health board, and they are not naive. And when we finally explain to them how the data would lead to the potential for the gain sharing back with the neighborhood, that the community as it built built momentum would get resources back that got them really excited. So we've been in that dialogue and we've had some fits and starts with people coming in who wanted to redirect the program. And but but we're we're at the place almost of kind of reinvigorating and starting anew in that in that place. But we have definitely established trust, which is the first thing. And we're hopefully within the next few months, we'll we'll start walking the neighborhoods. So as, as we all try to get this out. Where could they, how could they reach you, Jamie, or where should they look, your website, et cetera, to perhaps contact you or, or Rand, if they're interested as a community in something like this? Yep, we can, you can find us at sinkhealth.org. Um, we're both in Nebraska and Iowa, so um, reach out to us there if you have any questions. And that's sync spelled? C-Y-N-C, health.org. Correct, not S-Y-N-C. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So cync.org. And, and if people wanted to talk to you, Ren, is there a place they could reach you? I'd go to Jamie. Jamie and I collaborate on a lot of things. I try to bring her into other states. Um, she She's, again, we laugh and say you should be the president. So that sounds great. And yeah, that whole, uh, you, you can see this. We're now finally starting to say, well, interoperability, it's the key. It's the key. But Jamie, you sort of taken it to the next level in a sense and brought in those other sets and hooked it up and got it actually working and thought through some of these critical issues. And um, I, I know that coming up in um, 
May 30th, there's going to be a conference, the Healthcare Capital Markets and Innovation Summit in Columbus, Ohio. And we hope to talk about this there as well. I'm not sure if the, either of you two will be able to join us, but it's really a great topic that I think, you know, Ren, when we met years and years ago in that, I think it was at a conference up in a in a, a hotel room and began discussing these neighborhood health savings accounts and, and uh, community-owned health plans and things like that. Really, uh, it's great to see this much progress. It's been a while. Everything takes a long time, especially when you're talking population health, but really fantastic. Jamie, are there any other thoughts you have that you'd like to get across about how you do this or the important things to consider? Um, I, I think it's, you know, Nebraska has been a great um, place for us to to test a lot of things. Um, they, the healthcare systems have come together. The communities, um, organizations have um, come together. And I think that's, that's why we've been able to achieve interoperability that, and I'm pretty resilient. Um, uh, and, you know, my nursing background gives me uh, a lot of leeway to, to say yes, but why, why not? Why can't we do this? Um, and, and I think that's really how we've achieved um, really robust interoperability and that understanding that it's not just the hospital data, right? It's the primary care data it is the imaging center data. It is the pharmacy data. It is the claims data. It's all of it. Because why should it be? Why should you need a cheat code um, to figure out population health? You shouldn't. Um, you should be able to know where the data is, how to access it, and understand our communities at a very granular level so that we can actually plan interventions that will work. I feel like a, a little bit like the Wizard of Oz. You could always go home, but you had to find out for yourself. And in a sense, I think a lot of these health systems and payers have an opportunity right in front of them to take this data and create the governance and then to think about the right sets of incentives and reconfigure a team to work in those places with huge health disparities. If we're honest with ourselves in 30 or 40 years, we've made very, very little progress on the disparities. And our belief is that without doing what we've said, you're not going to make progress because the healthcare system doesn't understand the origin of health. They understand the, the dealing with sickness. So Fred, this is an incredibly powerful conversation. Thanks so much for your leadership in this and giving us an opportunity to speak. It's really, really my pleasure. And I did just want to say one thing, Jamie, I knew you had something going when I took a look at your website and saw the size and breadth of your advisory board. You really have brought together a huge group of people, and that's what it's going to take to ultimately do this. So congratulations on that. Really amazing. Thank you. Yeah, pretty, pretty strong group. And, uh, and Ren, thanks for those kind words. I think we'll probably have to come back, get you folks back on again and and begin to see wh where it's working, what's happening, how what you've discovered, because this really is a, a an exploratory pro process. But it is the right approach, I believe, as, as we've talked about. And I want to thank you both for coming on. It's really a pleasure. All the best. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Dr. Rain Archer, legislative and policy expert in public health and international diplomacy, and Dr. Jamie Bland, chief executive officer for Sync Health, for their time and insights today. To learn more about Dr. Bland's work at Sync Health, go to www.synchhealth.org, and that's Sync, C Y N C. And do follow on Twitter via at SyncHealth. And for more information on Dr. Archer, do follow him on Twitter via at Dr. Rain, and that's R-E-Y-N. 
And finally, if you're enjoying our work here at Pop Health Week, please like the show and the podcast platform of your choice. Share with your colleagues and do consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they're posted. We stream live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays at 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for you left coasters, 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. For Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying, please stay safe, everyone. Bye now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.